Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. We're wrapping up 2020 and looking forward to 2021. In this two-part series, we learn how to reflect backward and see the ways that God uses even the hardest years in order to deepen us, and also how to time travel with Jesus forward into 2021, believing that He already has good plans for us and we're just there to discover them. I hope this two-part series helps you cross from the old year into the new one with hope and depth in reflection. All right, welcome back, everyone. Hope you had a great time discussing the question. You know, I think the hardest part about 2020 is that there was just kind of this big fog of being able to plan and see past the uh, COVID virus. And even as a church, we had a hard time um, adjusting, you know, and, but we did. We adjusted over and over again because our plans got smashed over and over again. I, in the video, I'm like saying, hey, I hope I see you in three weeks, right? And then it's been nine months. Um, and that's really 2020. And I think, I think as we think about our vision being stripped away um, for the future, Proverbs 29, 18 comes to mind. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I think we've seen some of that in our society as people have lost hope or uh, felt depressed or in despair, right? So much of that is because all they see is the isolation. All they see is the COVID numbers. And it's hard to envision life in a new normal where Maybe there's hugs again or Disneyland reopens or we can carve a path forward. And if we lose sight of that vision, we start to perish inside, don't we? We start to despair. Well, when I think about our future, um, I'm a visionary. I love envisioning the future. And I think the best way to do that is to time travel with Jesus. Have you ever time traveled with Jesus? Have you ever sat with Jesus and asked him to take you into the future? And I think about so much of the Bible where people are time traveling with Jesus. I think about Abraham, where God sits with him in the night and says, look at the stars of the sky. Your descendants will be more numerable than them, will be uncountable like the sand in the shore. He was talking about, Abraham's descendants out of his own lineage, but he was over a hundred years old. Um, but he was also talking about Abraham's spiritual descendants like us. Think about when God took Abraham on a tall hill and showed him the vast amounts of land before him. And he said, Abraham, this is going to be yours and, and, and your people's land. You see acres of grass and field and forest, but in a few hundred years, there will be cities and, and sons and daughters running and roads being built and marketplaces. God time travels with Abraham. He time travels with Joseph. As Joseph dreams, God takes him to, into the future where his father, mother, and brothers are bowing before him. God time travels with Joseph when he's in prison for the baker and the, the wine bearer. He time travels with Joseph as he's standing before Pharaoh the next 14 years, seven of plenty and seven of famine. We have whole sloths of the New 
of the Old Testament dedicated to time traveling. We have a whole prophetic genre as God takes prophets and his people into the future, whether it's of destruction or restoration, whether it's of of exile or a regathering of his people. And when we look at Isaiah, we see God not only uh, share the future of Israel, but the future of us all as he gives us this picture of the eternal kingdom. And then Jesus time travels with his disciples. After the resurrection and before his ascension, he looks at his disciples and he says, there's only 12 of us in Jerusalem. But my kingdom, the good news, this message, our citizenship is going to expand from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the rest of Acts is about that expansion. The rest of our history, um, our lives, what we participate in, renew, is the vision of Jesus' future to his disciples. Renewing in Fullerton was a part of this ends of the earth future that he was painting for, for John and James and Peter. The Bible has so much of the future written on it. And I believe that God is a God of the future, right? When we look at um, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Now look at that passage I highlight, highlighted, that God has plans for you, that God is the one who gives us a hope in the future. God was talking through Jeremiah to all of his people, the Israelites at the time, as they were um being told their future. But I believe he has a plan for all of us, that all of our futures are planned out by the Lord. And he's the one who gifts us hope and future. In um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul puts it this way, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about the good work that will mark your life, the life of your family and community, what you'll be remembered for. It says in Ephesians that that God has prepared it in advance for us to do, that these hallmarks of our life, our purpose, the best parts of who we are and what we will accomplish, God's prepared in advance for us to do. He has our future in mind. And so we get to discover and excavate God's plans for us, right? I think there's two streams of thoughts. There's a a concept that we create our own future. We manifest our destiny, right? If you listen to any secular podcast, it's all the rage. You, You picture, you use the law of attraction, and if you think about your future enough, if you create it and, and focus on it, it will come to you, right? You manifest your destiny. And sadly, Christians 
operate that way many times. They walk into their future in an unknowing. They walk in their future believing that they have to cultivate and create it. But God calls us instead to discover it. There's a very vast difference here. You know, when we cultivate and create our future, we're usually pining for the things of this world. And Solomon shows us how futile that is. He was the smartest, the richest. He had all the women and he could accomplish everything he set his eyes on. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes, one chapter at a time of him going for everything we think has value. And when he actually grabs it and holds it in his hand, it starts to disappear and become small. But we see that parable play out in so many lives of of millionaires and billionaires, of the famous, of people who who have everything we want and then fall into deep depression or can't get or just go to cocaine or end up taking their life. And it bewilders us. But it doesn't bewilder Solomon. It doesn't bewilder God. The plans that we create are often shallow and and never satisfy us. But if we're a Christian who believes that God is in our future and has planned it out, right? He wrote out our next 30 years and have prepared good works in advance for us to do. What does it look like to sit with the Lord and say, God, would you take me into my future and show me what you have for me? What is it that you've created me to do? You see, your greatest purpose, the ambitions that that really will fulfill you, but also give meaning to the bigger story and to the community around you, it's not on Google. It's not even in your own mind to journal you you need to sit with the lord and ask him about your future he's the one who holds it in his hands and then you approach your future in a totally different way it says then you will call on me and come and pray to me and i will listen to you so how have we come and called to god for our future how have you time traveled with jesus When you think about the next year or the next two years, is it something that you're willing? Is it something that you're writing? Is it something that you're determining? Is it something that you're looking for externally? Like someone else did this, so I'm going to do it too. They look successful, so I want to follow in their footsteps. Or have you, like Abraham and Joseph and Jesus' disciples sat with him, and said, Jesus, will you take me into the future? Will you show me the plans you have for me? Lay them out in front of me. Help me to see why I'm my ethnicity, why I'm my, ge- I'm my gender, why I'm uh, gifted in these ways and weak in others and placed here. Like you've created me with intent and purpose and plans. You've planned the future. Help me to see the plans that you have for me. How often have we sat and come to God and cried out to Him, right? Instead of asking Him for the future we want, to say, God, what is the future you've designed and help me discover it, 
right? Have you ever discovered something that was already set before you? Um, have you ever excavated something that was already there? That's how we should approach our future. Something's already there. We're discovering it. God's already planted something for us. We are just excavating it. We're looking for it. We're looking for something that's already there, that's wonderful and good and, and will prosper us. And it's already there. We just have to find it. That's really different than walking in a future that might just be empty, that might have nothing for us. And, and that's a reality for people who aren't living with God's plans in mind. When I think about the moments in my life where I've uh, walked into the future with Jesus, you know, I think about my fifth grade classroom, second time in fifth grade. Um, and there was a lot of despair, actually, in my childhood. I couldn't read um, until I was about 11. So every subject was really hard. Um, there was a, like bullying. My family life was disheveled. I got sick a lot. But I remembered this vision that God gave to me in fifth grade where, I, where he started calling me to become a pastor. And he showed me a sign outside of my church door that said, for imperfect people only. And then I walk into that, um, you know, 20 years later. I remember as God coursed my life to church planting, I was in high school sitting at an abandoned Honda dealership off of Grand and the 57. And I remember putting the church into that car dealership. Like the CM will go here. The stage will go here. There's a big showroom. That's where our chairs will be. I would walk into spaces envisioning uh, where to place different parts of the church. In Epic and Apartment Life, there are these moments where I saw Renew. Before Renew started, I thought, you know, one day we'll have a church that uh, is on a college campus and has impact in it, that we'll be reaching a college campus for the Lord. And now we get to have impact in many college campuses. Apartment Life showed me what a missional lifestyle look, where you really own your neighborhood and see them as your mission field. I remember going to RFKC and coming back, bleeding vision for our church when it came to adoption and, and foster care. RFKC was the perfect church retreat to me where um, kids without families found parents and siblings in Jesus, where drug addicts were running the camp in rehab and in giving their life back to Jesus, and where the church came in so many ethnicities uh, and, and generations in order to serve the orphan that God, love, that God loves. And I was like, man, would we be able to do something like that as a church, I would love for that to be our primary church retreat, you know, every year that our whole church would go and set up a camp. And that would be how we do uh, renewed church retreats. At F Evergreen S SGV, I was uh, walking with Kyle, one of the pastors who had worked there. And we, we talked to the uh, maintenance worker. I forgot his name. But he told me about his adoption story and Kyle adopted as well. And he said that he adopted because for years, uh, Evergreen had gone to an orphanage in China and served there. And they sent a few mission teams a year. So a lot of people at that church, which is a, it's a pretty big church, had exposure to these, to these orphans and, and really fell in love with them.
And then one year, the government decided to shut down that orphanage. And the church said, we want to adopt every child from that orphanage uh, before they're displaced. So they put all the photos of the kids, the names on their church wall. And one by one, each picture and child was taken down because a family took them in. And they emptied out that orphanage. And their, their church had this culture of adoption, had this culture of true religion, taking care of widows and orphans. When I heard that, I was like, if that, I want that to happen at Renew. And if it does, I'll retire, <laughs> you know, because I'm done. It's like, we won, let's all go home. Uh, when he shared that story, I just, you know, time traveled with Jesus. And he said that that hopefully will be our story as well. What do I see for Renew in 2021? And actually a big part of my sabbatical is, is dedicated to sitting with Jesus and seeing the future with him. I think if you're a good leader of your family, of your organization, of your small group, of your church, this is one of your primary functions is to time travel with Jesus, is to see his future for you, for your family, for your church. You know, as a parent, um, your greatest function is to time travel with Jesus and to just say, Jesus, what do you have for my children? That it's not primarily my plans for them, it's primarily yours. And as I discover your plans for Liam and Levi, or, or as you discover God's plans for your kids, your job is to steward them towards it, right? And so we as parents, we as organizational leaders, we as individuals are about sitting with the Lord and seeing his future for us. So if I think about El Dorado, and El Dorado isn't the focal point, but I do see Renew moving into El Dorado and taking that space. And But more than that, I see us having a season of growth. I believe, you know, 2018 and 19 was a season of pruning. That a lot of, We had a lot of transition at Renew. Uh, some were really healthy, some were extremely unhealthy. But I believe that there was a pruning season over that period. And then 2020 was a rooting season where our community rooted down and clung together, where we rooted deeper in our relationship with the Lord um, through our sexual addiction series and through um, our daily devotionals. And then I believe 20, the second half of 2021 to 2022 will be a season of fruit. That after pruning, God will deep, God has deepened us and then he'll give us fruit. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I do believe that our family will expand as we take in a life, as we uh, continue to move into the city post-pandemic to love people and to care for them in Jesus and to reach out to our campuses again that will restart. I believe that God is going to give us fruit. Secondly, I see us from local to global missions. Actually, Erwin alluded to this in our staff meeting, which was really exciting to me, and how he wants to spend some of his internship and time at Renew, as well as Rebecca. And I, I, I really, one of the maybe tangible futures I handed our staff was like, RFKC is a global organization. What does it look like to invite 10, 15, 20 
Renewians into RFKC locally, right? With people who have gone for a while, like Vicky and me and Joanne, uh, Joanna. And then to take that same group and say, let's do RFKC in another country and, and move from what we do locally to what we do globally. I think about special needs being a way in which we transition what we're doing here to something overseas. I believe church planting is a need that we can do locally and globally. This year, actually, Jake Snowden is starting his church in uh, Florida. He was with us for the first couple years of Renew, led worship and preached, and I'm meeting with the staff on Tuesday um, to consult them in their launch. And how do we as a church, you know, do it with him? As we do that locally, how do we take that into global missions? I think about Renew being someone, a community that loves worship. I wouldn't describe us that way. I think there are people who love worship, but as a community, it's not part of our culture. You know, it's not part of something that we just kind of enter into in our friendships, in our small groups. But as we take on a life, um, one of their core cultures is a culture of worship and whenever i thought about renew worship i actually always thought of a life like man one day i would love to be where a life is in their worship culture and now we get to have them i think tpc joy had this beautiful worship culture as well um, that was adopted in in the first couple years of our church and then i a love for being with him as we continue in our discipline of silence uh, as we continue to sit with the Lord in community and individually. But out of that, I believe that God's going to pour out spiritual gifts that as we listen and, and learn to be with Jesus, we'll learn to speak out of the Spirit as well. And I think that's where prophecy, discernment, word of knowledge, healing comes out of. It comes out of hearing Him speak over someone else and us saying what He said to them. I think that's what prophecy is. So as we continue to be with him, I believe that he'll pour out of us spiritual gifts. Lastly, when I time travel with Jesus, I think about Renew as a greenhouse for kingdom entrepreneurs. You know, Jake, uh, I love his vision for church in Florida, but I think about the nonprofits and the social enterprises that can come out of Renew. I think about the Call to Be project as a as a model and a bringing together of church people to write books uh, that benefit Foster and all the ways that um, God will seed kind of kingdom projects and, and, um, and startups through Renew. Now, the last part of my sermon um, goes into Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. It says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. When I think about this last passage, it's really, in my mind, the how-to when it comes to discovering God's plans for us, right? When it says that God's plan plans to prosper you and not to harm you, there's this uh, heart that Jeremiah is, is communicating to Israel. Israel has, had lost its hope in God. And, and wasn't sure if God was there to smite them or to, or to give them shalom, which is the word prosper here. It's, it's not just speaking about like lots of cars and, and money. It's talking about shalom is primarily about peace, peace with God, peace with each other. 
um, being in harmony with your community, and and there's like social justice implications there, right? So God's plan is to give us shalom uh, with Him, with each other, and as a society, um, not to harm us. And and how do we move into the shalom of God? In in Jeremiah's time, Israel was again being punished for their rebellion. They were disobedient to the Lord. Um, they wanted to worship other idols, and and God uh, disciplines them through other countries invading them. That's never his first move. His first move is this Jeremiah prophet warning them with all he has about their potential future. But they want to kill Jeremiah. They they end up, you know, they reject him. His ministry is fruitless. And because of their willful disobedience, God has to escalate in in the Assyrian army invading Jerusalem and eventually destroying the city. And that's where Daniel comes in, right? And then there's a restoration with Nehemiah. So this is right before Daniel, Jeremiah. And, and during this time, God is wrestling with the people's will. Do you want to obey me or do you want to rebel? In the rebellion, God again escavate, escalates his discipline out of mercy and grace for Israel. Because if he doesn't escalate his discipline, what happens? They forever worship idols, which is a far worse consequence than discipline, right? Discipline is always the lesser consequence of letting someone do what they're going to do. So if I slap Liam's hand because he's about to touch fire, the slap is far less severe as him touching fire. God sending an army to invade Israel is actually far less severe than them leaving him and worshiping idols for generations. So whenever you think about Old Testament judgment, um, it's, it's the least God could do to reverse the will of the people. And the best thing he can do so that they don't stray away from him. If they repented at Jeremiah, they wouldn't get invaded, right? So we always have to escalate as parents our discipline until the will of the child is turned, and God does that for Israel. But what his real plea here, what would have been better than an invasion, is if they listened to Jeremiah. And it says, "You will, if you seek me and find me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And this um, this little phrase, seek me with all your heart, is a throwback to the first commandment that Moses gives or, and God gives Israel, right? To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, right? To, to put God first, to not have any idols, to obey him. This is a call back to obedience for Israel. When I think about how we move into God's plans, how we move into God's future, the first step is always obedience, a life of surrender and obedience. I actually talked about this in our devotional uh, just yesterday. That I, I felt like God was uh, sharing this with me to share with um, our church on Sunday. So when you look at Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says... Um, it talks about loving obedience, where there is no prophetic vision. Prophetic is in the ESV, right? So it's not just our vision for our life, but it's 
it's a vision from the Lord, the people perish. But he who keeps the law is blessed. So there's a relationship between obedience, keeping the law, and having prophetic vision, um, stepping into obedience. So, so my first exhortation to you is to obey. And no one likes to hear that, right? No one, no one naturally says, oh, I, I love obedience. That's like a core value. Like, I want to be happy and I love obedience. No one says that. But when we want God's plans for us, we have to obey. Because how do we step into God's plans without obedience? Going into God's future requires us to walk into his direction. And walking in his directions towards the future he has for us um, requires us to obey him. Requires us to do what he's telling us to do. And even when we don't have our personal vision for the future, even if you say, Wilson, I don't know. I don't know what God's called me to do. I don't know what 2020 looks like. I don't know what career or purpose he has for me. What is the next big step in his plans? I would say you still know enough to obey. And every act of obedience, whether you see the future clearly or, or you do not, um, is, is a step towards his plan and his future. Uh, when we obey, we obey in the knowledge we do know and we we know that we're to forgive we know that we're supposed to lay down our life for our wives we know that we're we're to submit to one another we know we are to love god more than anything else right we know we're not to lie we're not to lust we know we are to live uh faithfully for our current our wife now or our future wife we have a lot of obedience um, that we can do. And then obedience, I would say, is not compartmentalized. Obedience isn't about specific things you're doing and then saying, oh, those things don't make sense. I'm not going to do it. Obedience is a lifestyle. Obedience is, is surrendering your will to the Lord and saying, God, my whole life is yours. Right, because if if you think of obedience as walking towards God, you can't simultaneously walk towards Him and walk away from Him. Like we're we're whole, my whole body has to travel in one direction. I can't go here and there. And when you think about obedience, don't think about it in terms of line items. Think about it in terms of where is my will headed? Where is my heart headed? In my in my whole body. In my whole being, walking towards the Lord in surrender to Him. If you disobey in one category, if you walk away from in one category, if you dis, if you rebel in one category, your whole being is walking away from the Lord. So you're either walking toward Him or away from Him. Now again, it's hard to love obedience. So sometimes when I have a hard time obeying, um, I take my eyes off of obedience and I say, do I love his purpose, right? Because obedience uh, moves us into his purpose. Do I believe that me obeying God allows me to find and love the purposes he has for me? Do I want what God wants for my life? Do I want to be a part of his larger narrative? To, to, to love his will, to say that, man, his will is to uh, bring all the nations to him so that everyone can know him 
And it, it is, is my heart to be a part of his bigger narrative, to have, have his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to love obedience because I want to love his plans, his future, and his purpose. So when I don't love obedience, I go down and I say, well, do I really want his purpose in my life? Because if I want his purpose and plans, if I love his purpose, I will love to obey him. And then when I struggle with his purpose and plan for me, then I go down one more layer and I ask simply, do I love Jesus? Because if I love Jesus, then I will trust his plans and purpose. And if I trust his plans and purpose, then I will live a life of obedience. So is he my Lord? Is he my King? Is he the one I'm placing my life under? That's what it means to be Christian, right? We ask him to forgive us, and we say that Jesus is my Lord, my King, and I will follow him. Two statements to become a Christian. God, forgive me for rebelling against you and for living my life without you. Statement one, forgive me. Statement two, I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to love your purposes. I want to love your laws. When we love Jesus, we love his purpose and we obey him. And so when we think about what it looks like um, to step into God's future, the future he's planned and prepared for us, I think there's two things, right? There's the sitting down and continuing to surrender your life in the big ways and, and to time travel with Jesus. He's familiar with that. He's held many of our hands into the future. Are you willing to reach out, call on him, and ask him to hold yours into your future? Sometimes he shows it clearly. Sometimes it's a dream about stars and weeds and, and, um, and cows. Um, but he wants to time travel with you. He wants to show you his plans for you, to give you hope. And secondly, it's this everyday obedience. The obedience in cloudy years, like 2020, where you can't see past the next few days. Obedience when you feel blind. And obedience when you see clearly. And it's scary. All of it requires obedience. And when you look at the heroes of the faith, that's what they all did. They obeyed God for their future. And I pray that we would obey him for ours as well. Father, as we look into 2020, there's a lot of hopes and dreams we have, like Disneyland and hugs and eating without masks. Um, and those are good things. But I pray that our greatest hope and our greatest vision would come from you. We've made a lot of plans in our life, God, but I wonder how much of them are just us fabricating our next steps and how much of it is lies secure in the future you've shown us. We can step into it with confidence because we are stepping into it with you. God, as we close out last year and look at our next, I pray that we'll capitalize on the next few months where things are still slow, where 2020 reaches into 2021 and, and, um, and we can't help it. But we can sit and say, God, give us a future and a hope. Help us to time travel with you. 
Help us to see beyond our next few days and to believe that you have a future planned and, and allow us to call on you to see it, Lord. God, as, we, as I go into sabbatical after next week, would you do that for me? Um, that I would see the future of Renew for the next three years and five years and 20 years. Um, would you do that with our leadership team? Would you do that with our community? Um, yeah, we love you. We're thankful that you are the great storyteller, that you write the best plans beyond what we can imagine. You know, I think about Renew. If, I, if, if in year one, I, I got to like just put out my top 10 wishes for Renew, um, they would all be dwarfed um, compared to all the people and gifts and purposes that you've given us uh, through the last six years. God, as we love you, we, we love your plans and we believe that they are better. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.